Hi, welcome back to The CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor, CIO. Throughout the 90s and into the 2000s, big ERP vendors and systems became synonymous with the highest levels of cost and complexity for CIOs. But as the SaaS pricing and deployment model continues its inexorable spread into every level and corner of today's evolving technology stack, the question is now being asked whether monolithic ERP is now dead. According to our expert guest in this episode, if it isn't yet, it's certainly moving into palliative care. What's happening now is that organisations are cherry-picking different apps, capabilities from different providers, including CRM platforms in some cases, depending on their specific needs. Meanwhile, the big ERP vendors themselves, SAP, SaaS, Oracle, etc., are moving more of their solutions into the cloud in response. Okay, so joining us today is uh, Bruce McKinnon, the Managing Director, Head of SAP Business Group with Accenture ANZ, and also one of his colleagues, Doug Hughes, who's the Oracle Business Group lead at Accenture for ANZ. Um, Doug, if I could start with you, how would you describe the evolution of ERP systems over the past few years? Yeah, it's an interesting one when you look at it. I mean, obviously, we had a big push through the 90s and thousands with uh, with big ERP monolithic suppliers such as SAP and Oracle, as ourselves here, Bruce and I have worked through. Yeah. Um, and then what we saw is really a push into the cloud space. And that started in the CX area, very much driven by the areas of, of sales and marketing. And what we saw was a, a massive transition occur because all of a sudden things moved from being CIO IT centric to being driven by line of business. So these cloud, what I refer to as cloud 1.0, uh, best of, of breed areas popped up and they did incredibly well and it drove from a capex to an opex structure so all of a sudden the dynamics of purchasing also changed the dynamics of engagement changed from cx it moved over logically into hr we all of a sudden didn't apply for jobs through a paper we applied online we had all of these different structures particularly in the recruiting area and then we looked at how we we rolled that out and that has now logically progressed into the finance and finally the supply chain space and it was a logical progression of where the need and where the, the change was required, and also where the, the uh, central part of the company and the desire to change was driven. You weren't gonna see a supply chain or a manufacturing plant go to a massive change and transformation on new products early. So, I, I, and now we're seeing what I refer to more as cloud 2.0, which is enterprise cloud. That ability from end to end of CX, uh, HCM, ERP, supply chain on a single model but by line of business. So in the past where we did massive transformation programs, it's now being done, let's do the finance department now, let's do the HR department, let's do marketing. So rolling programs of work based on success. And so what does that mean for how CIOs are, are thinking about and grappling with ERP these days? Oh, it's a big one. The CIO's entire task has had to pivot from being yep. the center point of, of having to drive these transformation programs and the lines of business sort of typically abrogating responsibility over to the COO office and saying, we need to upgrade our systems, we need to put in new systems, we need to do whatever. Now the line of business is saying, I can't do my job, I need new systems. The vendors are going directly 
to the lines of business. They're not going to the CIO anymore. So the CIO role has gone from one of uh, a power base of IT and system area to one of a business partner and having to support the business and then look at what are those critical items that the, the business must run internally and yeah. those items that they're prepared to hand out uh, to cloud-based providers and others to, to provide those as a service rather than as a uh, intrinsic system within the firewall. Mm. Right. So, so um, Bruce, I mean, is is in this in your view, is this something of a? Are we seeing something of this trend that we've been talking about with regard to shadow IT, albeit in a in a far more sort of larger scale, serious manner? Oh, absolutely. And and, and just to add to to what Doug um, started discussing there is that um, in in the old days, if you like, in in, in the nineties, uh, in particular, the uh, as he said, the CIO was effectively a, and a very effective gatekeeper, uh, not just for the rest of their business, uh, because they had to deal with the CIO to to deal uh, to to um, deal with technology outcomes. Uh, the vendors really had had only one avenue into an organisation to sell their solutions through the, through the same CIO. Um, so the proliferation of, of more cloud-based line of business point solutions, um, which, as Doug said, started with with the customer-related applications and then moved into HR applications, uh, it meant that the, um, uh, the 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 chief marketing officer or the chief sales officer or the chief HR officer um, were all of a sudden much more involved in making those decisions. Uh, and the the big tech providers um, actually started to sell to those individuals as well. So the CIO lost a lot of control. Um, and what you've seen, obviously, since then is the proliferation of, of even new roles such as chief tech technology officer or chief data officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been, you know, there's been m- many other reasons for that transformation as well. But that's but the, the, the change of the ERP buying patterns has definitely yeah. caused uh, a lot of that change. Um, and it's meant that the big providers like SAP and Oracle and, and others um, have, have had to change their own selling behaviour uh, to become better at understanding the, the, the business requirements uh, rather than just dealing only with the technology buyers. So it's, it's been a very interesting transformation. Uh, and over the last 20 years, um, you know, the likes of SAP and Oracle, who we work with quite closely, have become a lot better at actually being able to translate uh, the technology back to the, to the business case and the requirements that the, the companies are trying to solve in the first place. So is, is ERP an easier um, a task for, for CIOs these days, notwithstanding what you've both described in terms of this sort of um, um, decentralization of, of, of buying and more sort of targeted um, applications. Is it, is it easier for, for CIOs, particularly in, in big organizations? Because as we've all, as we all know, and, and for many years, and you know, I was with Computer World in the, in the mid 90s, when we used to write endless stories about these, these enormous SAP and, and Oracle and other ERP systems that, that, you know, in some cases caused CIOs enormous uh, grief in their organisations. Yeah, I, th- I think just from my point of view, um, David, it, it's become a lot harder, I think, to be honest, for, for companies to, to really uh, decipher and create a plan as to how they consume um, uh, software um, and, and to really to, to patch together um, potentially different vendors selling point solutions to, to their organization. And they have to have much more understanding of how the data model uh, for their organization will work in that new world. Previously, um, they could really rely upon the big um, uh, ERP vendors like SAP and Oracle who would take care of a lot of that for them. 
Um, so uh, I think it's required a lot more um, sophistication and maturity on behalf of the of the, of the buying of the companies yeah. um, to be able to understand that. And and you can even see that through um, the individuals that they're attracting to work within their organization. So there's been a, a lot of um, uh, individuals that have, have left consultancies like Accenture, also the, the big vendors like SAP and Oracle, and have actually taken up positions within um, the customers themselves for various personal reasons as well. Yeah. Um, and again, that's actually represented a change to the 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 commercial relationship between these organisations because um, there's a lot more capability, um, and that's required to be honest um, on behalf of the the end customers to be able to to make the right decisions as they go forward. Um, and again, the big vendors like SAP and Oracle have responded to that. Um, by uh, getting better uh, in terms of uh, understanding how to work with not just the CIO, but their, their colleagues in the C-suite uh, and also the, the, the people that they have in their teams to be able to construct that, that uh, capability because they all know that these, these solutions can be consumed in a lot, more, a lot different way than they used to be uh, 20 years ago. And so we've talked about the trend whereby a lot of the CRM platforms out there are starting to, at least attempting to develop ERP-type capabilities. And in response, the ERP vendors, both the established ones and the SaaS-based ones, are trying to incorporate more CRM features. And, and, and Bruce, as we discussed yesterday, this is sort of reflective of a more CX-based approach to ERP. Yeah, um, um, I'd be interested in Doug, Doug's view on this as well. But um, uh, the, the other trend that we've uh, that, that we've observed in the market is uh, the the end users within these companies are also a lot more discerning in terms of the and in consuming application software. So um, that the screens that they use have to be uh, much more um, aligned and, and look a lot better based on um, and and more familiar with with users who are, are used to using Apple devices and Android devices and so forth. Um, in the old days, again, the big vendors didn't have to worry too much about that because they were trying to squeeze a lot of functionality onto onto specific screens. Um, so there's a lot of focus on making sure that these applications are a lot more usable um, and also a lot more flexible and potentially extensible um, to develop and solve um, additional business problems that weren't that, that weren't perceived when the original buying pattern took place. Um, some of the original um, cloud uh, CX or CRM vendors um, have done well uh, in competition with the old ERP vendors and it's natural that they would look to solve you know, different functional problems and they've used that as a beachhead to move into some more of the traditional ERP domains like finance or supply chain, um, and in and in response to that, uh, the traditional ERP vendors have definitely focused heavily and have invested in building um, capability and functionality, which which looks as good as some of the more the newer um, CX um, SaaS vendors. So you're seeing this kind of um, and it's a healthy competition in the market, to be honest, because they really do. Um, keep keep each other honest and and provide better outcomes ultimately for their customers. Um, but it's it's been a very interesting sort of change in terms of the the entrance in the market and who's actually participating and competing in this area. And and I think to add to Bruce's point, he's one hundred percent right there. Also, our buying patterns and to an extent, COVID nineteen has driven this change as well because bricks and mortar retail before the focus was point of sale. Now it's about online. And so when you go online and you've got a multi-channel access point. We now need to have what we refer to as our configuration price quotation structures. Actually, you know, where do they sit? They used to sit from a, a um, configuration perspective back towards the supply chain areas in some cases. Well, now those engines have to really bridge across the CX space 
all the way back to our supply chain because we're going to sit there as an end user and we're going to go online and we're going to buy a mobile phone with a mobile plan and we're going to have different different models we want to choose from. That has to be priced up and structured and then supplied from the supply chain area. So that to, to think that we can separate CX from ERP is a misnomer. And I think that's that's what we're seeing now is there were these these breakups of, of these areas, but in the end, what you had were different solutions coming through. And again, it was coming back to the IT department, to the CIO, yeah. to become an integration shop. Yeah, it's interesting you're saying that, that you can't contemplate ERP without CX these days, but 10, 15 years ago, you would have had a lot of, you know, senior executives at these big, at these big companies just going, huh? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I think uh, to Tug's point, it's 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 worthwhile sort of emphasising that that the explosion of online retail, which of course really commenced in the early two thousands, has yeah. has really sort of disrupted you know, the, uh, you know all of the companies that are trying to establish you know new channels uh, to shift their product and services to market, uh, and and back on the on the vendors, they uh, SAP and Oracle um, uh, arguably responded to that by resorting back to their traditional development cycle. Um, which which was was comprehensive but slow, um, and they found themselves disrupted uh, by faster, more agile, um, uh, spot uh, CX line of business solutions um, that were cheaper to to deliver uh, and easier to consume on behalf of the customers. So, and that that really shocked, I, I would suggest, um, those more traditional ERP vendors, um, and they've really had to you know completely rethink the way they actually bring product to market, uh, and we've seen that over the last ten years or so. And that's also been driven, I think, just to add to Bruce's point, you know, going back to the traditional ERP, the old world of the 90s and the early thousands with the, the big transformation programs, the CIO was trying to, to drive this on a best basis. So it's yeah. how do we do our business now? Or oh, this is how we do it. You need to make the system look like this because this is how we do it. But why? So the SI would come in and do a lot of customization, a lot of overrun work to deliver yeah. what yeah. And messy solutions. Now, you know, let's take best of breed. What what is my value to the bottom line by having a you know a customized solution around invoicing? It just doesn't make any sense at all. Put the money where it needs to be in the core systems that are really actually my differentiators that drive my top or bottom line, and anything that's a horizontal application. Let's go with best of, of um, application, the true business process change. So the programs now are a change program. They're not a technology program. It's mm-hmm. a standard process. Yeah. So ERP today is is is, is vastly um, cheaper to deploy and, and faster to deploy. But what I'm getting from you both is that there are less options for customization and perhaps that is a good thing. Absolutely. It's, you cannot have a custom, I mean, Cloud says you can't have a customised solution. I cannot have a, a, you know, a multi-tenanted or even a virtual single-tenanted solution that is mine and only mine. It's yeah. got to be a common and that allows us to drive change with AI, with ML, with RPA coming through. And it also drives in ERP this real push to management by exception. If the system is running and I'm within my parameters of operation, CFOs are now far more reasonable about that and allowing the system to operate and then engage where there are exceptions to the standard operating procedures that the system is operating to. That absolutely naturally applies ML and AI to it. And and I think it's worthwhile uh, emphasising the point that if you're consuming um, software um, uh, as a service, 
um, and uh, it, it's it's really forces or it, it should force an organization to to really think about um, which part of their business process is 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 very unique to them versus that which is which is really commoditized um, so arguably um, the, the way you you conduct accounting uh, obviously with some variations by industry and country is quite consistent so it, it's a lot easier to consume that kind of service you know from from, from a cloud-based provider uh, and and because uh, automatic updates to that functionality is is effectively being forced upon you by the consumption of that service, it means the the end customer needs to understand that they have lost some control of that particular finance process. But it's but it's a very cost effective option to do so. Um, and they if they can then switch more of their um, uh, available capital into a, a differentiating process, which is really going to be provided an advantage or competitive advantage to them over their competitors, then that's a much much better allocation of capital um, than well, to consume the consumer service, which can be provided effectively as a commodity. And let's also remember too, this is the great thing out of this is it's driven the vendors to step up in their program because as a subscription, the customer can just turn off the service. Before they had so much invested in these customizations, it was very difficult for them to walk away. And frankly, the vendors weren't as engaged with the customers because the SIs were the ones that actually owned the customization. Now the relationship is far more vendor and customer and SI through a customer life cycle. And if the customer's not being served properly, they'll say, I've got alternatives out there. I actually don't have to stay on this. It's a, it's a great analogy back to you know, traditional sort of um, you know, business economics, which is that the, the barriers to exit and entry are a lot lower um, mm. under this new model. Um, so it's actually made made all, all participants in that 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 transaction uh, a lot more responsive to each other and a lot more agile. So it, it has it has driven a lot of a lot of advantages um, in in terms of people buying solutions. Yeah. Right. So th- this this is a slightly tricky question. If we're talking about you know these these huge projects that we all you know read about, particularly 20 years or so ago. Um, many of them were um, uh, related to um, finance modules and payroll. Was was this was this partly a case of um, accountants kind of getting involved in creating this analysis paralysis? If we're talking about this sort of desire for for customization, and we're now saying, hey, you know, accounting and finance is not that different, you know, between we're certainly between businesses in the same industry vertical, um, and yet, and 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 now we've sort of had this this extreme sort of transition. No, I think my view, yes, there was probably a little bit of that, but my view is again, it goes back to that abrogation of responsibility. In the past, the whichever line of business said, "Here's my transformation going on. You, CIO, can you go and run that for me? Here's a couple of my people. They've been around for 20, 30 years. They know how the place runs." I've walked in, I'm sure Bruce is the same, I've walked in on customer sites on an Oracle implementation of the old e-business suite and they're saying, this is horrible. I'm saying, well, that's not how it looks out of the box. So what you've got there is a clutch that was put together by your teams that decided it was essential that you were different to everyone else and you had to do things. So even the old monolithic ERP systems that were there actually were pretty clean in a lot of cases. It was this customization and allowance. So to me, a lot of that change was driven by the user base not having true governance and structure around it. One of the first things I say in a cloud implementation, I want the line of business leader as a governance head over this to approve any change that is necessary to the base system and why it needs to be changed. Yeah, if if I would add to that, uh, the other trend that we're seeing, and Doug touched on this before, the the COVID has has accelerated this, which is really a, a strong push for accelerating delivery and value. 
So um, no, no longer can we have very long projects with uh, a waterfall-based methodology, uh, very comprehensive uh, teams and, and a lot of time spent on, on documenting requirements. The challenge with that, of course, is the business is so agile and fast these days that those requirements um, change often within a few months. So it's caused a, a lot more focus on agile-based methodologies, scrum-based delivery, um, and even the old-school ERP vendors have woken up and taken notice of that trend. Um, and they're looking to work with their partners and their customers to actually have a lot more collaborative approach um, and a lot more um, uh, delivery of, of proof of concepts and pilots, which can actually show to the end user what the ha, how the solution works out of the box. Uh, and that really breaks down a lot of these barriers of, of making sure that the solution can serve exactly what the customer needs. So you get to a, a solution much, much quicker, um, which is mu and also much more standard um, and, and can deliver these projects a lot faster. And ultimately, the main um, component of, of these cost blowouts has been time. Um, so the faster you can actually define a, a controllable piece of scope and deliver an outcome based on that, uh, the, uh, the easier it is to actually control that project and make sure you get a successful outcome. And the funniest thing is some things don't change. There are those that have changed dramatically, but data migration, integration and reporting will still be the three standout items that everyone will be concerned about in a cloud-based migration and the things that will still slow you down. And they're the things that still traditionally will probably follow a waterfall. But as Bruce said, the ability now where before we'd go away and we'd say, you've told us what you want, we'll go away and write a whole heap of design docs. Now, day two, day three, we're saying, here's a system, tell us what you don't like about this. And we're gonna iterate from here. So that speed of cycle at the start of a base system starting from scratch, being seen within days of signing a contract is dramatically different. Yeah, so I mean, the, the the term agile ERP, which is you know, you've now just flagged. I mean, would have clearly been an oxymoron even hmm. to ten years ago. So you, you you think we're actually there now? Are we are we comfortable in saying that we're now in the era of agile ERP, having come from monolithic? Not hundred percent. I'd say hybrid agile because, yeah. as I said, things oh no, like you said hybrid. Things like <laughs> data migration and and those items still follow a traditional waterfall to an extent. The yeah. actual application now is very iterative, so it's in an agile structure. But I tend to see we're really in a hybrid agile. You've got some components that's still working in a traditional DevOps structure, and then there's some that are into the agile DevOps and and directions, and that's more at the app layer. Yeah. Bruce? No, I agree. And it's uh, you laugh, um, don't you, Dave? Because you know, in the technology industry, of course, we just create new terms and so forth <laughs> to describe what we what we're doing and what, what we want to do. But I think, I think yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and look, Doug, <laughs> Doug's touched on it well. It, it, ultimately, there are always some fundamentals which you just need to get right. You need to make sure you understand your data. It's got to be clean. So as part of a migration, it's going to be successfully migrated. You need to understand the business process. You need to configure these solutions, ideally in a very standardized manner. Uh, and some of these things just take time. Um, but on the other hand, um, the more you can shift these projects into more of that agile type approach, yeah. um, and really, um, I th again, one of the things that, that Doug just mentioned is spot on. It's more a case of show the end user the standard solution and, and ask the question, why won't this work, rather than saying, what do you need? Um, that's really the catchphrase that we all apply now as part of our projects. Uh, and we find that if you can do that well, uh, you really do get to a, a better outcome faster. Uh, and again, that, that usually leads to a much more successful project outcome as well. And think about it from the SI perspective, it has changed our dynamic here at Accenture and at other SIs because in the past, the customer would say, but could the product do this? And of course, the immediate answer was yes, and here's a change request. Now, as Bruce just said, the response is, why? 
please tell me why you need to change this and why this is working in some of the biggest corporations around the world. And let's not forget now, cloud is deployed to some of the, you know, the top Fortune 500s and the rest operating on this system comfortably, safely, out of data centers around the world that scale and, and are elastic to them given a COVID-19 world. So it's a very different structure. Yeah, and it's it's, it's actually good. I just let me just build on that a little bit. It, an SI like Accenture, um, we're not only making sure we've got the right technology skills and uh, the skills in the products that we're that we're configuring and implementing for our customers, but it's also enough business knowledge to be able to uh, have that challenging conversation with the client to say why would you need to do that because the product works like this. Um, and yes, there may be some flexibility, but you also need to understand the, the cost dynamics uh, associated with that, not just in terms of today's project, but also as you actually maintain this application down the track. Um, so we need to make sure we've got the right capability uh, and the people that have that kind of experience uh, to be able to support our clients. And that's a spot on point because we can't forget that this is a once in a generational chance for, for businesses. They get a chance to change their chart of accounts that they designed 20, 25 years ago that do not fit them now moving forward. They get to change their reporting structures. You know, reports were built because the new person wanted this report on their table. So it's a it's a chance to really reevaluate. And I hate when I hear customers saying, oh, I'll just do a lift and shift off my old system. I'll take my old bad processes and I'll now put them on and my old bad data and operations onto a new system. That needs to be backed out. And that's where we at Accenture find it really important in our role is to help guide them into how to, we're going to give you the keys to the Ferrari, but we better teach you how to drive it as well. Mm. Yeah. Just, just final question. I mean, these, these, these major ERP vendors, um, for, for for over two decades, have derived them, uh, in my view, um, the majority of their revenue from from services. So what happens to that now? Well, subscription now. So it's it's a trailing revenue. So before you had your upfront big license chunk, and then there was a percentage that followed on year on year, regardless of what happened. So I had some customers saying, "I've got to pay the support fee when I was working at Oracle. I've got to pay the support fee." But actually, most of my issues around the customizations. But yes, they had to because they had to start with regulations and legislations and batching. Mm. Well, now what we've got is the subscription-based model. So there's the traveling revenues, which are actually flat-lined. It's what they pay from the first day all the way through. So there's no big chunk of license up the front. So they're having to migrate. You're right. It is a it is a shift of dynamic that the vendors have had to come to grips with. And same for us as the SIs. We've had to come to grips with. We have the implementation cost. But the vendors now supplying a lot of that support structure that we used to, we have to marry that, that support offering together to support the customers as they're now getting these quarterly updates mm. that they now need to consume and then drive business change out of each of those. Yeah. If, if, if I could add, the, the, the old adage used to be that the, the, um, the ERP vendors would effectively um, pay for their their sales force by the their, the upfront sales of the products to the customers, and the and the ongoing research and development would be funded from the support fees. Mm -hmm. So these days, of course, and as Doug says, the the service is is charged as a service. So there's no upfront um, big cost. Um, so the vendors have had to completely redo their internal economics in terms of the way they actually uh, pay for their people and Absolutely. also pay for the ongoing research and development. Uh, and again, it's made them really become a lot more focused on the customer service and the ongoing relationship 
Um, in the old days, they could re- they they didn't really need to rely upon that that those touch points because the, the support fees would usually come regardless. Nowadays, it's not that simple because there's an easy exit, uh, um, easy way to exit. The customer can simply just consume a different service from a different vendor. Um, yeah. So it's really forced these 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 uh, these vendors that have been around for, for for decades to completely rethink their approach, not just to their own product development, but the way they actually support their customers. And it changes it for the customer, obviously, because they now no longer have to worry about their hardware upgrades. They now no longer you know they've got SLAs that they used to fight to get out of the IT department. They now actually have signed in blood from the vendors to to deliver against that. Security goes out the door. The old world of hey, I need to do this change, and every change was a critical change because I was the only company in the world that was doing that change this weekend. Yes. Well, now with cloud, I'm applying that change to twenty thousand customers this weekend yeah. on the same hardware, on the same patch levels. So risk decreases security increases and the overall cost of operations in the background that were often hidden costs and were never flushed out are now reducing as well. Yeah, sure. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Look, as a, as a technology journalist with, with 25 years experience, I can say that is without a doubt the most interesting ERP conversation I've had. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's good to hear. Thanks very much, Dave. Thanks well, for the talk. Thanks, Dave. We enable any organisation to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers, connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. Now, our final guest is Will Sessions, who's the CIO with the National Maritime Museum in Sydney, also previously CIO with Digital Twin Smart Building Startup. Will, welcome back to the CIO Show. Thanks very much for having me, David. It's great to be here. Now, man, you know, we, we, we talked about this recently, that it doesn't really matter if an organisation or CIO thinks they have made the right investment and, and deployed a, a, a good ERP system. If it, act, if it isn't actually doing what it's supposed to be doing in terms of data, which is really what this is all about when you get down to brass tacks, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. The most important um, sort of initiative that we've got at the moment is um, customer data. Um, my priorities are absolutely um, surrounding, you know, how do we capture the sort of data that we've got for our visitors coming into the museum? What do they want to do? What are their priorities? You know, even capturing, you know, in terms of artificial intelligence, what's the sort of things that they might be interested in into the future? And look, frankly, um, our priority at the moment isn't ERP. It's, it's more around CRM. And, and my thought on this is that CRM really does seem to be stepping in and doing a lot of the function around what, you know, a module might have done with ERP in the past. Mm. Even 10 years ago, I'd say, yeah. um, it would be very difficult just to cherry pick sort of, you know, systems that you want in order to be able to do that. And I think that's um, quite a significant change in the industry, particularly over the last 10 years, as I'd say. Yeah. No doubt much to the chagrin of the major ERP vendors. Oh, yeah. No, there's uh, there's no question that there's been some sweating over there in that respect. Um, yeah. I yeah. think to be fair to them, there's definitely – Getting on board, They're, a lot of their offerings are SaaS, which I think, frankly, is absolutely necessary. Mm. Um, but what I find is that we have very particular needs for, you know, say our POS system. We've just upgraded our POS, and we looked around at the different vendors as to who could do it. We looked at the, you know the big players, so the sort of like the medium players that you still know. But we ended up going with a vendor that was 
very, very specific around the niche um, performing arts industry. It captured data around performing arts. It, it, it was able to track, um, you know, who's standing at which line. It integrates into other systems like tracking. It integrates into Salesforce. And what we actually found is that that is actually exactly the system that was going to give us what we needed. One thing I was never ever going to compromise on, and I think you know this, this goes across the board with every aspect of every technology decision we make, is that the data has to be shareable to everyone and everything. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the APIs were critical. We have a, a grand strategy about, as I said, capturing data. Now, because you know, straight through the front door or on the internet these days, especially with you know in the COVID world where we have to be able to track who's coming in and, and um, you know the numbers going in and out. We really needed to be able to, you know, capture that really quickly, really easily. And we had to do it, you know, in a way that we could roll this out in about six months, not five years. So it was really important to us to have an agile methodology so we could get it in. We always, you know, have at the back of our, you know, strategy roadmap looking at upgrading and doing other, other, other modules or other extension to the functionality like tick, you know, um, self-service ticketing, that sort of thing. Yeah. And frankly, look, we're on our way right now. We're capturing data in a way that we haven't been able to do in the past. Yeah. Um, we're able to save that. And right now, we're looking at our CRM strategy um, around, you know, marketing cloud and, you know, taking those insights that we're starting to capture. And and to me, that's actually the real strength and the real sort of game changer that we're at in terms of, you know, what just wasn't even possible a couple of years ago. You'd have to look at this monolithic type install. You'd have to really come at it from a waterfall methodology, spend a couple of years, probably get a CapEx over, you know, a couple of million dollars. Mm. In our instance, we're able to <clears throat> we're able to get this through around the five hundred thousand dollar mark. Yeah. Obviously we had some teething issues like everyone in terms of some of the workflow, but but overall it's given us what we need and it's definitely giving us some um, you know, some tangible return on investments ahead of time yeah. while continuing to push ahead with, you know, the museum's greater strategy. I mean and back to that point about data, I mean what you're describing is 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 gaining real time insight as well, whereas with traditional ERP, as we know, um, extracting and and reporting from those systems was was not you know was no easy thing for a lot, in a lot of the time. Yeah, was, and again, yeah. So when we were looking at this, you know, it was really important to us that the data that we captured, we had access. Well, I shouldn't say access. We have the data. We have it on our you know internal relational database. And from that, we can then take what we need to and apply it to other areas as well. For example, there is, we're having talks at the moment about how do we actually track the you know, visitorship, who goes where, how long do they stay at a certain area. Um, and from that, we can also marry that up to demographics as to you know, who's going where, um, who's spending money on different sections or who came in and wants to start off with a free ticket and upgrade to the, the big ticket, which then gets you across on all the different exhibits. These are the sort of insights that, you know, are just so incredibly important to us and is a, a real strategic, um, um, I suppose, game changer that, that the executive team completely buys into. Mm. And, at, and, and at any stage, did you sort of entertain the idea of talking to any of the big ERP vendors and investigating perhaps what they had to offer? I mean, I suppose that might have created some nervousness in the finance department, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, look, honestly, yes, that is exactly what happened. Um, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I won't discount anything or anyone at any time, but, but knowing the products and especially the fact that we needed quite a niche system, um, when we put down our very clear objectives and, you know, this is the marking criteria for what we needed and wanted, mm. um, it, it just, honestly, the, it didn't hold a candle to what some of the other niche players were able to uh, cater for, sure. um, and and again, we we got to look at this in terms of you know an agile delivery methodology. And I know that it's almost frankly a cliche, but if you can just sort of pull that back, we we needed something quickly, and we needed you know almost like an MVP, I suppose you could say, where we knew that we needed a very baseline in terms of what our requirements are, but then we were going to keep building on top of that. And it might not even be the same vendor at the end of the day as well. Um, you know, we've got our phase one in place. Um, visitorship is starting to pick up again with, you know, COVID. It's, it's obviously peaks and troughs, like peaks and troughs with everything that's going on at the moment. Yeah. Um, but overall, you know, it's, it's starting to, um, yeah, manifest pretty nicely. And do, do you anticipate um, deploying anything that has ERP on the tin in future or is this, you know, really a case of a, 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 a proven successful and uh, deliberate strategy to sidestep it altogether? I I will continue to look at each individual's um, requirement, and let's take I don't know something completely different, say like HR management or payroll. Um, yeah. Or payroll, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I will evaluate each product individually as it is, but I don't see there's a huge strategic advantage anymore to going a monolithic install that can do everything. I mean, I'd always look into it. I, I'd want to understand what it can do, but I suppose with what we're doing in terms of our business, let's say you're looking at payroll or, you know, human resource management or something along those lines. I, I always look at it as what is the business need? Talk to the different units, talk to the leadership team about what it is that they need to do. And in my experience, usually those check marks come back to the specific niche vendors. That's what I've found particularly over the last few years. Mm. As long as those products interact and work in terms of, you know, data flow, API, um, it's open, there's, there's amazing documentation, um, community as well, you know, they're, they're involved in that. Um, I've always just found that they're the ones that give us the best value for what we're trying to do at the moment. I'd certainly entertain others and I would, and if they were able to objectively show, I'd, I'd, I'd be open to that. But for me, it's really a case of, you know, the right vendor for the niche of what we're looking for has always worked really well for us in, in this environment. Mm. In, in terms of the providers that you're working with at the moment and you're working with companies that are, that are providing, you know, really useful um, APIs, is there, is there anything that they could be doing better or different? The most important thing I find is documentation. Um, yes, the more we yeah, can understand yeah. about what goes in and out, the better. Mm. Um, some of the, the players out there, it's just fantastic. You know, we're using, say, for example, Adian for our payment gateway. Their documentation is just sensational mm. uh, in terms of being able to see what can go in and what can go out. Um, the reason I'm mentioning them specifically is because the reporting around, you know, numbers and, you know, in and out, that was always a real struggle for us. We've been able to really get on top of this quickly. We're still finalizing some of our reports because the system only went live uh, two months ago. But because of that, we've got almost a guide as to how to complete this. And again, it's, it's just helped exponentially. Sure. And that's actually a really good point as well. You know, that the fact that there was a support team that would help us, you know, down the road, actually, um, the documentation was very clear. We're able to articulate what we needed to get done and then work with two vendors you know, we had we had the problem sorted pretty quickly. 
And and the, and the speed of deployment. Tell me a little bit more about about that. And was it, um, I mean, we, you, you sort of you sort of intimated that it was, you know, almost completely seamless and immediate. But it was it. Oh no no no! <laughs> there was no. There's always there's always speed bumps in implementation. Look, I mean, we spend a lot of time evaluating because um, that's very important to get right. Obviously, you, you put the wrong thing in in place. It doesn't matter how good the implementation. Um, we spent a lot of time going through the requirements. Uh, a lot of time uh, training as well, um, going through the existing workflow, which was based on a, a legacy old system of around 10 years old. So in some ways you can't really blame them, but that's, yeah. that's what we had to work with. Um, and look, yeah, we just, we constantly did daily check-ins, uh, a la Agile again, in terms of what's, what's getting deployed during, during the implementation phase. And we had to make some changes along the way. Uh, and that came from the business and frankly, you know, we had to in a COVID world. I mean, being able to adapt and, and be able to change is just, you know, the way of the world at the moment. And and again, um, I found that the decision to move with, you know, these more niche players, they understood that. Um, yeah. And so you're not in any locking contracts with, with most of these providers, is that right? We are in a three-year contract with um, POS provider. Is it the case that with some of your providers, and this is – what the gentleman from Accenture um, talked mm-hmm. about in the previous um, interview, um, that you could, it's be reasonably easy for you to cease a relationship with one provider and commence another with another. Yeah. So the answer is yes. Does that lead to a greater peace of mind for you? It does. It does because my thing is, okay, the way I always work is I work very closely with vendors. Uh, at the end of the day, they're people. Um, I don't like, being able to hold something over them saying, look, after this time, something's going to go. I want to always be on the front foot. If there's a problem, I tell them that. Now, if there's going to be like a locking contract around, you know, you know, capital that needs to be recovered or something along those lines, that's fine. I work yeah. with them on that. But I don't like the idea of, well, something's coming up to this date and therefore we've got to change it then. I want to, I, I always want to have, you know, those awkward conversations way ahead of time so we have the chance to fix them. That's, mm. that's the way I work. And therefore, it hasn't actually been too much of an issue for me. So the system we put in now, yes, we're in a lock-in for a couple of years, but for what we needed, that was the right thing. We, we couldn't rip in and, you know, put in a new pod system and only a year later rip it out with something else. There's the training aspect. There's the familiarity. There's the fact of, you know, reports need to be rewritten. I think that's kind of like the right number. Yeah. But that said, if we need to change, I don't know, say infrastructure backends or move it to a different system, that's all month to month as well. So it's kind of, you know, you, you've got to be sensible about how you pick these things. Sure. And, and another point that was raised by, by Doug and, and, and Bruce at Accenture mm. is that, um, you know, this, this transition to, and you, you, you sort of t- flagged this as well, the, the fact that ERP is now um, needs to become more of an agile thing. Mm. Um, mm. Is t- talk to me a little bit more about how you are making ERP type um, uh, functions, you know, forcing that into the agile funnel. Yeah, look, I, I just feel like businesses and you know executive teams just frankly demand that. You know, a five year plan around um, a monolithic ERP, it's just not going to fly. It's going to be really, really hard to get that sort of approval over over the line these days. That's yeah. again just my experience. Um, and therefore, for me, it's about getting, and well, it's about understanding the priorities of the business 
and being able to actually show delivery um, and success around these different, you know, say modules. So, you know, we're talking pods now. We have to look at our HR systems, including payroll in the near future. We're looking at finance as well. The reason we've gone along this route is because, as I mentioned, the most important thing for us right now is to understand our customer. We've also got other initiatives underway around digital first and making all of our data available, um, you know, to the world. Um, This is another thing that we're working on at the moment. And therefore, you know, digital asset management system is another priority now. ERP doesn't really work with that. Well, it's not what it does. But for, for our priority, that is actually most important. And therefore, you know, the modular... Um, you know, mentality methodology is really, you know, what's what's been able to, to get us on the front foot and get some some wins on the board at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I should also mention, and we're coming from a place where we're right in the middle of, of moving a, a legacy infrastructure to the cloud, so that we can deliver a lot of this stuff as well. You know, we we still need to keep a lot of the data, you know, in house. Um, but right now, you know, CapEx funds are pretty tight with, you know, the way the world at the moment. And therefore, this is another avenue that we can take to make sure that we've got, um, you know, with the right architecture and the right planning, we've got an infrastructure that can scale up and down depending on what's going on at the moment. Mm. Today, we only have, you know, let's just use round numbers, you know, you know, 20 terabytes. In a year, we might have 200. That's a very, very difficult thing to do capacity planning over. Yeah. And, and of course, you pulled much of this off in the midst of a, of a global pandemic. We did. We did. <laughs> it was a busy time. I bet it was. Well, Will, thanks so much for joining us again on the show. Um, good luck with it all and, um, and also good luck with getting the numbers back into the museum over the, over the rest of the year. I appreciate it. Everyone should come down. It's a great place. <laughs> good plug. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we'll be talking about open source. It's been talked about for well over 20 years, especially since the Linux Penguin sought to befriend everyone from the enterprise SMEs and the media with its happy story of data democratization and an end to expensive and difficult to bend proprietary systems. Now it's expected to see a big resurgence in 2021, according to analysts, with technologies like Kubernetes gaining more and more airtime during tech and business discussions, while concepts like fog computing We're also expected to usher in new applications for open source as the edge starts to materialise. We'll be talking to tech leaders and expert analysts about their open source plans for 2021 and how they see the technology playing a key role in the evolving new normal. We hope you can join us.